time in Los Angeles and just like the Los Angeles Kings it runs hot and cold how you doing tonight Vardy I'm good buddy I'm good I'm glad uh, this recent road trip at least finished on a high note certainly uh, didn't start on one and the middle was a bit of a letdown uh, yeah man hot and cold that's kind of been the the uh, theme for the last couple weeks I know it's been a little while since we recorded sorry fans yeah, life, sometimes life gets in the way of the important things like podcasting uh, I mean, about, about your terrible. favorite hockey team. It is terrible, yeah. and I think our priorities are way out of order thinking about rent and life and stuff like that. I know. Um, I've, I've decided to live out on the street um, after New Year's. That is my New Year's resolution I like is it. to uh, embrace homelessness so I can focus on the podcast. I'm going to join you on that. So big Sweet. things coming up in 2018, guys. Very big things, but Box yeah, casts. as you, as you said, um, so we haven't recorded in about nine games, which, uh, that's probably the longest we've gone without recording. As I've already said, we don't feel good about it, but it is what it is. And we're going to do just a brief recap on where the Kings have been. Uh, last we left you, they were about to play the St. Louis blues on the road. And from that game, um, all the way until the 12th of December. So in 12 days, they won. I believe five straight. So the winning ways continued. All in all, the winning streak went to eight. And Vardy, my question is, will the Kings ever win 10 in a row? Man, that that's a hard accomplishment for a lot of teams. I know, I know, I think Chicago spoiled a lot of people by going on that. What was it? Was it like 30 games without a regulation that loss? In, or whatever uh, that, yeah, it was? that was in 12, 13 like in, the shortened, seasons, yeah. in the shortened season. And yeah. No, no, no. Was it? I thought it was. Later than that, I thought like just like, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Ten games is uh, ten games is hard, dude. It ten is. games is is a difficult thing to accomplish, I think, for any team because you're asking basically for a team to play, you know, solid games, ten ten solid games in a row, and not only that, you're expecting the the opponents to not come into that building every night with the intention of breaking that streak which I truly believe is an extra bit of motivation for our players. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's not just that you have to play well for 10 games straight and, and win. Sometimes you have to get lucky. Sometimes the you have to get the bounces. Sometimes the other team outplays you and you win anyway, which kind of happened, by the way, toward the end of that eight-game winning streak for the Kings. So that's probably a good place to pick up. Um, that Minnesota game. So we're skipping the St. Louis and Chicago game. Kings played well. I mean... It was obvious they were in a really good groove right there. Obviously, two teams mm-hmm. that are very good, two teams you want to be, two teams that have been quote-unquote playoff rivals for the Kings in recent history. But to stop on that Minnesota game at home, that was an exciting game for you, wasn't it, Vardy? I was super pumped. <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, jovial. Jovial is a good um, word. <laughs> jovial is a great word. Um, no, nah, man, it's... You know, it's. I think we talked about this um, when Gabby was kind of, you know, getting ready to come back. He'd been out for a while, and we were all excited about the potential of how he was going to play in this particular type of, of system. And I was hopeful that, you know, with given the um, extended recovery time, that he'd be able to jump right in, he'd be able to do well. Um, and so far, so good. I think all things considered, I, I can't imagine anyone's been displeased with how he's been playing, but. You know, to have him um, score his 400th goal and his 800th point against Minnesota at home, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes sometimes the stars align and you get magical moments like that. And frankly, for as little as I've been able to watch, sadly, with all these East Coast games and stuff, it was nice to be able to sit down, watch a home game, and, um, you know, and, and see pretty much the guy who's been my favorite player for the last decade and a half, like, you know, accomplish something like that in the Kings jersey is, is pretty special for me. So I, th- I appreciate Gabby doing that for me. Yeah, and it, it was funny because you were watching that game and I had to step out and I just had a 
feeling he was going to do with that game. 400 <laughs> goals, man. It's 400 goals is no joke. You know, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, maybe before the lockout, 500 was like the magic number, right? 500 was almost a, a lock for a Hall of Fame and all that. So when you consider that he's missed, and I calculated this, or I, I looked it up, and I, I just wanted to see how many man games he's lost. He's, he hasn't played close to 300 games in his yeah. career. And... And yeah. a lot of those during prime years, by the way, like right. years where he was putting up numbers, point a game clip. Right. So he's, yes, he would have gotten 100 more in those 300 games. I don't think there's any right. question about that, the way right. his goals per game averages and all that. So in a way, it's kind of it kind of upsets me that he missed so much time that he's probably going to fall short of the Hall of Fame or even that magic 500 number. Um, hopefully, uh, it's a stretch, but hopefully he gets to like, close to a thousand points it's going to be tough uh yeah yeah, it's 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 a tall order for a 35 year old guy but man he has looked good he has really given the king's jump Uh, from the first game you could tell like he had it so he's been nothing but a breath of fresh air and to more than me seeing it i'm glad you get you got to see 400 because that's unfortunately probably the last real big milestone he's going to have in his career um and that's probably true. That's probably Maybe true. Maybe he'll win a second cup. That would be nice. I'll take that. Yeah, that'll be uh I'll take that too. I guess I meant indiv- individual milestone, obviously. And I, I, I'm more of a team player. You know, that's well, I am a selfish puck hot goal scorer. <laughs> Just feed me where I like it. And, <laughs> Everyone and says that about you. Also in that game, Kopitar. Career assist mm-hmm. number five hundred for him. Um, that's right. Man, he he has been amazing this season i don't think he really has there's one game where he's had an off game one game where i haven't noticed him or where he hasn't been helping the team in a very significant way so it's i mean we kind of knew that he'd bounce back uh but wow he is on some kind of tear right now and it's not even just the numbers the numbers are pretty darn good he has 39 points in 35 games 17 goals but it's everything, right? His his defensive play, obviously well-known around the league at this point, a perennial Selkie candidate, but it seems like this season he's making defensive plays that you really, really see. Sometimes he does the little things you don't see. Historically, he's done a lot of little things you don't see, but this season, man, his it's like these last-minute defensive interceptions, a stick here, a stick there. It's really, really obvious this year. Uh to any viewer, I think, how, how in tune he is right now with his own game. Yeah, I think a lot of that is also, um, again, we, we keep coming back to this because it's just such an important part of what the team is doing right now. Um, I think a lot of this is also brought on because of the Carter injury because it's forcing him into uh, more minutes every night. And I think he's really stepped up to the plate in that sense and um, owned up to the idea that, you know, there isn't a second option here. You know, he's he's head and shoulders the best center on the team right now. Um, he probably would be even if Karts was around, but, you know, it, it, it puts more burden on him in a lot of ways, and I think he's really owning up to it. Um, I think Brown's owning up to that a lot, if, you know, obviously not in a center standpoint, but, like, the, the idea of, you know, Carter's down, so we all have to kind of step up. But Kopi's going on another level for sure. I was trying to think about this actually because I was trying to, you know, you talked about how he's a perennial sulky candidate, and I was trying to think like, okay, so the guys that you usually think about when you're talking about Selkies are Bergeron, mm-hmm. um, Kessler, uh, um, yeah, Kessler, Kessler, Taves, Kessler, right? And so I was just, just kind of like trying to look at numbers and kind of see, you know, those that usual cast of characters. Um, where they're kind of ranking right now. And I'm pretty sure stats-wise, like goal-scoring points-wise, he's well ahead of all those guys. Uh, significantly, but the yeah. Significantly. It's like the face-off numbers are there. The defensive numbers are always, you know, the, num- the minutes he's playing are always as good as they're going to be. So right now, can you think of someone else who you would say would be a favorite for the Selkie. I don't know about trying to look. Yeah. I don't know about a favorite. I think he's the favorite. I don't think there's a question about that, but Sean Couturier, who we just saw. That's uh, very true. He's having, he's having a good season. Uh, yeah, he has 30 points. I think he's 15 and 15. So he's, to me, he's 
the guy right now or if I had to say in the end if things go well if things continue this way he's gonna be there I think Alexander Barkov is gonna be there right now if I had to say these are my three candidates for the Selkie it's Kopitar, Katurie, and Barkov yeah though those will be my three and again it's it's just such a down year for Taves offensively Bergeron isn't really you know lighting it up or anything like that yeah. he's, he, his defensive metrics are still you know some of the best I mean, in the he's league. Never lose that right, right like he's right. never gonna lose that aspect of things but typically i feel like the selkie they give it a little you know they want to see a yes. bit more balance yes like bergeron and, isn't even in the top 50 in scoring right now in the league you right. know so right things like that Taves isn't either by the way whereas kopitar is number eight in the NHL in scoring right now with 39 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, he trails about four guys ahead of him who have 40. And those names are Tavares, Goudreau, McDavid, and Josh Bailey, who might as well call him Tavares. Um, so <laughs> that is some that is some company right there, man, that he's with. And yeah. I actually had a question for you, Vardy. Who is the last Kings player to finish in the top 10 in scoring? The last Kings player to finish top ten in scoring. It's not easy. I mean, it's, are they, it's are not they, hard. Either. Are they still playing? No, I think I think you knew in your heart that they weren't playing anymore. Uh, given the Kings, the last <laughs> I don't know, I'm just, yeah, just giving it a shot. You no, know? no, they're not still playing. Demetra? Incorrect. Oh. Incorrect. It was actually. Before. I feel like Wayne is Wayne is too easy and like it's always you know the go-to option. But I feel like there had to have been someone between Wayne and Demetra. Demetra was maybe Ziggy. Ziggy Palfi. Yeah. O two o three. games, thirty-seven goals, forty-eight assists, eighty-five points. Um, the last LA King player to be in the top ten in scoring uh, and. I really want Kopi to break this little streak here because it's been a long time. 0203 was not just a few days ago, ladies and gentlemen. That was before the lockout. <laughs> the leading scorer that sure year. Sure feels like it was. <laughs> the Art Ross tro- Trophy winner that year, Peter Forsberg. Just to give you an idea of how long Man. ago that was. And in eighth place, <laughs> and in eighth place where uh, Kopi sits right now in 0203 was Mario Lemieux. So it's, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> it's been some time. Honestly, I, I would love for him to just be in that top 10. Just, I don't know if it's a personal thing or what, but I feel like it's a travesty that, I, that he hasn't been yet. Um, he's certainly capable of it. He's always shown he is. He's, in the last, you know, handful of years, maybe more, he's obviously, since Terry Murray stressed his defensive game a little more maybe than his offensive game and become a complete player. So that maybe hurts him a little. Mm-hmm. But going forward, man, if he keeps this pace up, he could very well finish in the top 10. And there's even been some chatter about him getting some uh, early Hart Trophy consideration. Given what happened with Carter, given the turnaround of the team, I think yeah. everyone kind of penciled them out of being in the playoffs, which uh, we did also. Yeah, I think that's a that's a tougher task. you know. Certainly, given... certainly it's a tougher task. Yeah, I think... Man, I don't know. Like with what Tampa's doing, but what Tavares is doing, man. God, Tavares, we don't yeah. get to see that guy play very often. And I, I realize I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but man, that Islanders game, just watching him play, I was it was baffling the stuff he was doing. I mean, none of it's like, you know, none of it's like mind blowing stuff, but it's just minor plays, and it opens up everyone else so well. And it's you know, you take him off of that team and. Jeez, they might not even be a playoff team, quite honestly. He's oh, just that good. Yeah, they're in trouble. Uh, I think we, t- I think we said this like a few episodes ago, actually. Like the best superstar athlete, no one knows about. Yeah, absolutely. That's who he I is. agree. He's just that but, good. But you know, with word now that apparently the Islanders are getting a, a new stadium after all, they're leaving Brooklyn. They're going to go back to to Nassau. It sounds like I don't know when this thing's going to get built. I haven't read the article yet, but. Hey man, maybe it's uh maybe maybe some success is coming for the Islanders, which I think is you know it's it's I mean it, it's sad to see that franchise in, in disarray, you know, like trying to watch that damn game. And I've tried to watch a couple Islanders games that they show on like NBC Sports Network and stuff. And that friend, that freaking arena is just 
it's a it's a travesty. Yeah, it is a freaking travesty that a quarter of the boards is taken up by a giant pickup truck hanging out there, <laughs> and then you can't you can't see the other half of the stadium. You know, if you're if you're sitting in the lower bowl, you got to crane your neck to the right anytime the the puck crosses the blue line. And these are you know these are legit hardcore fans. It's just it's sad. So you know the a little uh, bit of happy news there in the nosebleed section where you're sitting behind directly behind the goal. Yeah, you can't it's see cut off. The, the goal yeah. line. Everything from the goal line and back is cut off. So, I mean, because it wasn't nothing built important for, happens there, right? It wasn't built for hockey, right? I mean, it, it, it right. was kind of patched up or put together last minute that the Islanders were going to go there, and now uh, they got awarded the right to build a new arena uh, at Belmont Park. Mm-hmm. So maybe they'll go that direction. I, but again, building an arena isn't an overnight thing. So yeah. Course, but at least there's light at the end of the tunnel. I right. think there's, you know, it's reassuring the, for them. The light, but anyway. The light sorry. for them is being able to re-sign Tavares because if they don't, man, <laughs> they are in. Uh, I think that's a huge part of it. Honestly, I think. I mean, if you were if you were a world class talent like that, and you knew that you were, you know, dressing in basically the visitors' locker room for for the Brooklyn Nets with like a fold out chair and you know a couple pieces of plyboard to put your stuff in i think that would be a little bit disappointing for you so i think knowing that there's at least going to be a new building coming up in a few years that, that's that's got to be a little bit of something for him to resign there john tavares if you're listening staples center is beautiful magnificent locker rooms I the mean, home the locker just, rooms uh, you should see them glorious you can rich go, mahogany everywhere you can look at all the history Hanging from the rafters, including two Kobe Bryant jerseys. That's right. That was. Re- I'm sorry. The Sparks have won a couple championships. Are you a Taylor Swift fan? Because <laughs> do we have a banner for you? <laughs> I just want to touch on that Kobe thing real quick. And I know we're a Hockey Kings podcast, and we have never traveled farther from that than we are about to. Uh, but retiring two numbers for the same player. Brace yourselves. Isn't it? I mean, am I crazy to think that's a little much? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I guess I kind of get it. I mean, I guess I get it. But it's, yeah. I, I think it it's too. crazy because for the Lakers, they're running out of numbers. If you look at how many numbers they have retired. Yeah. All like, the good numbers are gone. Yeah. Like the 30s, that's I think, it. are all, I think they're all gone. They're, they're all pretty much spoken for. Yeah. You know? You're going to have guys with, like, hockey numbers playing for the Lakers from now on, like, bunch of dudes in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And I was thinking, hey, let's re- why don't you guys retire one of them and just take the other one out of circulation? It's fine. It's not a big deal. But uh, two jerseys. And we love him twice as much as everyone else. Um, <laughs> so after that mini game, Vardy, now that we're done with the basketball portion yes. of our episode. <laughs> That's right. After that mini game, you could... S- now the Kings... Three-pointer. <laughs> Our sport, our sports knowledge knows no bounds. Um, <laughs> but anyway, after the uh, mini game, uh, you now you start to see what I think was the Kings starting to bend a little bit, headed towards mm-hmm. breaking the Ottawa game. They went four three in OT. Uh, I believe they had a two nothing lead in that game. I'm not really a hundred percent sure. I might have to double check that. Uh, but they certainly were up on Carolina. Hmm. Uh, and they won that game in overtime. So back-to-back OT wins for the Kings. Great. Uh, we'll take that. No problem. Yeah. Except, um, yeah, there was. you started to see some defensive coverage issues that had crept up before. And actually, I was wrong about the Ottawa game. They, were, they basically yeah, they, went they goal for goal. Forth, yeah. yeah, it was goal for goal. Um, yeah, but they led, they led in the third with like very little time left, and Ottawa managed to tie that with... 10 seconds left on the clock, I Correct. think. And so, yeah. And the uh, Carolina game, the Kings did have a 2 nothing lead right. uh, going into the third period. So one thing about that Carolina game, it, it felt like the Kings were aware <laughs> that, about their winning of their winning streak. And yeah. I think they kind of felt that going through the motions was going to get the job done. And, and it might have, but you could tell that things started to turn in that game. Yeah, and I think you also have to look at like the teams that they had to win to get to that point, right? Like 
uh, I'm sorry, the games that they had to win to get to that point. Like they, they played St. Louis and they handed them, you know, four to one, um, Chicago, three to one, Minnesota, five, two. And so you're playing these like Western conference opponents that, you know, you're competing against playoff spots for, and you have rivalries against these guys way more than you do the, these Eastern conference teams. I think it's just draining. And I think that's, that's another thing that goes into this idea of how difficult it is to win you know, 10 straight games in any capacity. Um, and then you go into Ottawa, which again, in, in some ways was a trap game because, you know, Ottawa was coming off of like six straight losses or something like that. And quite frankly, the Senators have not been playing well all season. And so that's your classic trap game. And it, it ends up being a back and forth affair that they have to go to overtime to win. Then you get into, and you play against Carolina, who has been pretty much underperforming in a lot of ways. Like it's very similar actually to, to how the Kings have been the last, I think last season where in every metric, and if you're looking at Corsi and Fenwick and, you know, shot advantage and things like that, you would think that they should be well ahead of the pack overall, but their shooting percentage is just terrible for whatever reason. And they can't seem to, they can't seem to, you know, break this little, 500 or you know just a bit over 500 record that they have going on and just watching that game whether you want to attribute this to the kinks being tired out it was very impressive watching impressive watching carolina play i mean they play a very um fluid system the offense is just really fun to watch and they have a pretty decent top six when you think about it um but then the thing that stands out the most obviously is the shift in overtime in my mind, the three on three shift in overtime where man, they had the Carolina had the puck and I think they changed twice and I'm not sure the puck ever left the King zone. I have never seen Kopitar and Dowdy more exhausted than they were at that point in time. And Carolina was just getting chance after chance. And I, I cannot believe that the Kings pulled away with a, with a win in that game because I would have bet every dollar that I had that Carolina was about to score at any instant in overtime. Yeah, and it's weird because they... I don't think they got overly aggressive when I felt they should have. And this is talking about Carolina. I felt like they just weren't taking it to the net. And they were just keeping it outside and like moving it around in a triangle, a moving triangle. And it just felt like they never took a risk. And I understand not taking a chance. But, I mean, you've, you've got these guys on the ropes here. You know, they could barely skate and and you just keep it outside and and look for i don't know if it's a perfect play or or something but i felt someone as you know if i was a if i was coaching whatever just attack the net you know make something happen you got to take a chance at some point and you know obviously the kings come back and win it but it was that was the i don't think i've ever seen not only in three on three overtime i don't think i've ever seen a shift of hockey like that where like you said, three changes. The other team was so gassed, and like nothing came of it. It, it was just very weird. But yeah, I okay. felt like the Kings kind of escaped with that one. And anytime you're starting to escape with wins, you just know the losses around. The you court. know it's coming, right? You know it's coming, especially in a on, in a win streak like that. You know at some point it's coming, and boy, did it come <laughs> against New Jersey. I don't even know if I want to talk about this game. Um, it is what it is. The Kings, I don't think they were dominated uh, in any aspect other than the scoreboard. I think the Devils were just coming down and scoring. You know, coming down and making a play and scoring. Uh, it's one of those games where you just want to park it and move on as fast as you can. Um, the score suggests a blowout. I don't think it was uh, per se a blowout, but you could tell that they just didn't really have anything that game. Um, they were, to me, competitive, but... Uh, it got out of hand pretty quick. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it is is just small mistakes, dumb turnovers that went into the net, you know, or just like one mo- moment of poor coverage and it went into the net. So you, you're going to have eggs like that, you know. The team's going to lay eggs like that at some point throughout the season, and um, you know that's fine if it's going to happen. I guess it's best that it happens against an Eastern Conference opponent that at least you're not you're not giving up too much in the playoff standings. Um, Given how the the games prior to that were going, I think I think we all felt like maybe they were due for a loss here. I think the two games after that, though, the Rangers game and the uh, the Islanders game, both of those games 
were very winnable games, and both of those games were lost on late goals in regulation that you know prevented them from even getting a point. Um, which, especially that Islanders game, you know that Islanders game, they were up 2-0 and they gave up the lead. It's disappointing to see points like that being left on the board because you just don't want those points to be the ones that come back and bite you in the ass at the end of the season where you're looking back and going, man, if we'd only just made it to overtime there, you know? Right. And in the Rangers game, there was an unfortunate play, Christian Folland. Just, you know, right. you could really get on him for that. And it is a bad play. And I think he'd be the first one to tell you that. But I, it's one of those where... You know, nine times out of ten, he makes the play. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, he makes the play. He was just a little soft on that one. And of course, Rick Nash, who, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> someone called Rick Nash a superstar the other day, um, and it upset me very much uh, because he is not a superstar. He hasn't been for a long time, uh, specifically from the twenty fourteen. Stanley Cup final on so <laughs> and I remember do you remember that there was like whispers that the Kings might be looking at him at some point uh, I think it, it was, was the last few seasons yeah I think it might have been right around the time when when they got Gabrick where that was one of the considerations was were they going to go after Nash because he was kind of in that same situation right. of you know middling numbers not really up to what you would expect for him for his career I don't like Rick Nash very much as a player I think just upset me that he got that goal. But yeah, the again, the Rangers game, the Islanders game, like you said, both good games. Uh, a couple of odd bounces here and there, especially that Tavares goal. I mean, he absolutely hammered that one, but it was a pretty unfortunate <laughs> I mean, bounce. In that situation? <laughs> nothing. I mean, nothing. And then, you know, it came off the penalty where Cal Clutterbuck basically threw his head back and embellished the call. What? A lot of people are upset at Cal Clutterbuck for doing that. And I understand why you would be upset that he basically threw his head back like he got shot in the head. Uh, but to me, I, I'm i more upset at the officials. And we don't like really talking about officials too much. I really don't. Um, but I mean, the guy is 100 feet away and he just throws his arm up because he thinks he might have seen something. And it would be awful if he had missed it. And what ends up happening is... It, it's even worse because he makes a call that wasn't there to begin with, and that leads to Islanders' power play and probably changes, you know, the fortunes of both teams on that one. So I call things like that like gamesmanship. I don't have a big problem with embellishment unless it's truly, truly, truly embarrassing. Um, I don't know if this was there, but it was pretty close. I, I'm, you know, we've had this happen a few times overall where the back ref makes this call from god knows where and it's it's just not a good call and obviously this is a really blatant example of it like we've had you know little trips that aren't really trips and slashes that aren't really slashes holds that aren't really holds i don't know if i can recall one off the top of my head where it's a very very blatant um dive like that and the back referee calls it but it's just i don't know it, I, I always hate that that concept of like the near ref didn't get it, so the dude who's all the way at the other end of the right. ice is going to call it. I feel like that's just such a bad, that's a bad way to approach things in my mind. Yeah, and like we said, it ends up basically changing the whole game. But right, Kings get a point when you're when you're on a road trip. Usually, you look at you know there's a four game trip. If we can get four points, we'll Half. be happy, right? Like yeah. if you get four points, you'll yeah. be good. Kings end up on this road trip with three because then they roll into Philly. Um, and they beat the Flyers in a great game. I really enjoyed that game. There was chances, man. Chances all over the place uh, for both teams. It turned into kind of a track meet for a second there, and, man, Jonathan Quick, once again, was uh, truly, truly unbelievable. I mean, I don't know what else you can say about this guy at this point. Um, he had a couple of stinkers, obviously. The New Jersey game comes to mind where he probably wasn't happy with his performance, but... He co again, he comes back in Philly, and and he really, really shut the Flyers down. They were, they were making these cross ice seam passes every single chance mm -hmm. they got, every single possession they had. I think they were trying to go cross ice, and which well, the one goal they got was basically off of that, right? Yeah, uh, I believe it was Voracek, and it was off a Dowdy block again. So they tried to go <laughs> cross ice. It goes off Dowdy and goes to uh, Jake Voracek, who once again hammers it. But I mean. 
cross ice and then top shelf on quick is i think we tweeted this is a tried and true formula it works right he's he's so good down low like he was making pad saves all game long it's very difficult to beat this guy down low so going upstairs while he's moving is the way to go and i think the flyers uh from a scouting perspective uh nailed that it was very evident i I don't see enough their games to say that this is how they always play um but yeah quickie was was fantastic in that game kopitar was fantastic in the game and tyler toffoli uh picking up his 100th career goal all with the kings that's right and you you know i i enjoy seeing these guys stick with the kings and and start showing these flashes of um, you know, hitting these nice milestones in their career and stuff like that. And another great goal from Adrian Kempe, not to be disregarded in the, in the grand scheme of things. Another top of the faceoff dot, top corner snipe. <laughs> you know, I can watch those all day. <laughs> happy to happy to see him get up to, I think that's his 10th goal now. 11th, actually. What were your expectations of Kempe going into this season? And has he basically surpassed them? Realistically? Yeah. <laughs> Realistically, I was thinking like 30 points. Yeah. Maybe. I think if I saw 30 points out of him, I would be pretty stoked. I think at this point, if I, if he ends at 30 points, I'll be disappointed, which is which is pretty impressive how far he's come in just one season's time, you know? It really is. I think with, there was he was one of the big question marks for the team uh, coming into this season, and the team absolutely needed him to put up numbers. They absolutely needed him to take a step, the next step, whatever that may have been. And... And now you're looking at his stat line, man. He has he's 11 and 7, 18 points, mm-hmm. 34 games. Yeah, he, he should absolutely eclipse that 30 point mark uh, by a wide margin. So hopefully he keeps it up. Um, speaking of Toffoli and his 100th goal, he is the 27th player in Kings history to score 100 in a Kings uniform. Can you name the other 26? No. Good, because I'm just kidding. I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's. <laughs> That's a that's a tough question. I mean, I guess I I could try, but I think I get like maybe five of the names. I feel like if you if if you have the list in front of you, I feel like I can get like five. I don't have the list in front of me, no. But um, okay, I'll ask you this: Do you know who's next uh, in line to get a hundred in a king's uniform? Drew Daddy. Hey, there he I is. Cheated. I cheated. How'd you cheat? <laughs> Did you have the stats up there? I read our tweets. <laughs> well. That is one cheat sheet that I can get behind. But yeah, Drew Doughty, three away from 100 to become the 28th player in Kings history to get 100 as a King. And I'm going to go out on a limb, buddy. I'm going to say he's going to do it. It's a, it's a gamble. It's a gamble, <laughs> but uh, I, think, I, think, I think he's got it in him. I, I think, think he's got it in him. Maybe he gets it before we do our next episode. So should we? do you think we should do a premature Drew Doughty congratulations? Um, I'm trying to figure out whether that's a, that's an insult to us because we're recording too infrequently or is it just a compliment to him? Cause you think he's going to get three goals in like the next three games or something. You're right. Let's skip it. Good <laughs> points. Good points all around. Overall, I think since we're getting kind of close here to like the, we're well past the third of the way mark, almost close to the halfway mark, shockingly. Um, I would say that the season overall has pretty much exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways. I think anyone who tells you otherwise is probably lying because I don't know if anyone expected them to be doing as well as they are. That being said, I wouldn't think that if they were doing as well as they are, they would still be neck and neck with Vegas of all teams for supremacy in the in the Pacific Division. I think the Kings are just destined to never win another Pacific Division or Smythe Division or whichever division you want to call them in uh, Division Banner. We go for the big ones. It's Vegas, man. I'm getting kind of annoyed right now because... I don't know. <laughs> Why is he so good? I don't get it. You know, we said they'd have a bad season. And usually I would say eat crow per 60. But this is everybody across the board. I don't think there was one one single person, fan, um, I don't know, quote-unquote hockey expert. Uh, no one gave this team a shot. No one. Uh, thought they would finish anywhere uh, in the top 30 in the NHL. So there you have it, man. You're, they are now, I think they're still in second and with three games in hand on the Kings. They got Tampa tonight. I'm pretty sure, did they win? Hold on a second. 
Live looking, guys. Live looking. Great. Uh, they did win. They went 4-3. Great. <sighs> Fantastic. They just beat the best team in the league. And you know how they won? They scored a goal with three seconds left in regulation to, to win 4-3. <laughs> That's so Vegas. I think the most incredible thing when you look at it, they're scoring. It's not just like one guy. I mean, it started off in the beginning of the season where it was, uh, where it was James Neal. Expectedly, the guy's been a 30-goal scorer. Okay, fine. I get it. Totally fine. But now they got guys like William Carlson, who prior to the season had never done really a whole heck of a lot. I think he'd been on two separate teams between Anaheim and Columbus, and both teams, you know, clearly feel the need to really try and keep this guy who's basically leading them in scoring at this point and can't stop scoring. You know, Jonathan Marshall from Florida, that I think again, another guy that, you know, is, is a stupid move on Florida's part to give him up. And clearly they miss having him around because Vegas is doing considerably better than Florida now. I mean, I, I don't get it. I think, I think if you really have to boil it down to anything and maybe it is that, that mentality of, you know, no one wanted us and, you know, no one expected us to win and it, and it binds you. And then obviously you throw in, you know, the tragic way that things kind of started uh, with every everything that happened in Vegas with the shooting and everything. And it kind of binds you as a team and as a locker room. But you have to think that that Gerard Gallant has to be the shoe in for the Jack Adams at this point, right? I mean, who else would you possibly give this, this award to? Right. I mean, the Jack Adams historically has gone to the coach whose team does better than everyone expected. I mean, that's that's the right. criteria for the Jack Adams. Um, I'm pretty sure that's inscribed on the bottom of the trophy. Yeah, like in a little, you know, asterisk, <laughs> very small. We thought you'd suck, but you didn't. <laughs> right. So does that mean John Stevens might be a Jack Adams candidate? You know, that's an excellent question. I, I think you legitimately could say he should be. I still think I'd give it to Gallant just because of the circumstances. I mean, they built a team from scratch, and now they're challenging for the division title. That's... I, I don't even know how to fathom that. It doesn't make any sense. I think uh, initially when the Kings fired uh, Daryl Sutter, um, Gallant didn't have a job at that point. I, I, I know you and I were like, ooh, now that would be that would be a fun hire. And obviously Vegas scooped him up and you know we're more than happy with John Stevens. But clearly Gerard Gallant knows what he's doing. Yeah, I've always kind of liked him as a coach. He was, I don't know, if on my wish list i don't know he was the guy that i was like i really hope the kings hire this guy obviously john stevens like you said no complaints uh he's he's doing the job whatever he's doing uh it's working so uh keep going johnny keep going there and pierre turgeon <laughs> we kind of ridiculed that hire a little bit um <laughs> he seems to be doing stuff right i mean that's the thing i don't know i don't know if I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. If, is this all the Pierre Turgeon effect? I don't know. I sincerely don't know how much of this to credit to him. But, you know, if it's working, it's working, you know. Um, let me ask you a question since you've been throwing questions at me. This is not a trivia question. but Damn it. Since we're, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't come up with trivia off the top of my head quite the way you do. <laughs> um, since we're, again, we're approaching the holiday point, um, it's a nice time to sit back and kind of reflect on what's been going on thus far. What to you stands out as the things that you think the Kings need to improve upon? Obviously, they're scoring well, et cetera, and hopefully that'll continue when Carter comes back. But what would you say is the things that they need to improve upon to really secure their position and, and you know, be a threat going into the playoffs? Um, well, I, I don't know if it's obvious to everyone, but it's, it's getting obvious to me that the Kings probably need to go out and get a top four defenseman at some point. Uh, I'm not saying do it mm -hmm. tomorrow, but maybe a deadline deal, something like that, because to me, that's where I see weakness this season. You know, they kind of fixed the bottom six. The bottom six was a, was a rough patch or a rough spot for a while there. Uh, they got, you know, they moved Camilleri. They got Jokinen. They got Tori Mitchell. Kyle Clifford's back. Now, now it's like, you know a lot of options on the bottom six and they'll sort it out and they'll figure it out. Uh, but defensively speaking, which, which by the way, which, which by the way, I, I think Tory Mitchell, we, we haven't talked about much about him cause he wasn't playing. I think the last time we did an episode, but I've been pleasantly surprised by, um, how he's fit in with the team. 
I mean, he's gotten a couple goals, you know, face-offs, which I think was a bit a area of worry um, down the down the middle, you know, for the bottom six. But in particular, he's doing really well there. He skates well, forechecks well. I think that was a very uh, shrewd, uh, you know, low-grade move on the part of Rob Blake that is, is probably going to pay dividends going forward. But that's, you know, that's just a little blurb there for me. I agree. Uh, I'll, I'll kind of follow up there. Yes, he blends in seamlessly. Uh, he, I don't think there was a, you know, a moment or there hasn't been a moment or anything where he's even really done a single bad thing. I can't really, I mean, he's, he's popped in a few goals. Like you said, he's good on the forecheck. He, he can really fly, man. Like, and that was the thing with the Kings the last few years is like, there was a serious lack of speed on the bottom six. A very evident mm-hmm. with your Dwight Kings, your Jordan Nolans, your Andreas Cliffords, you know, not necessarily heavier guys, but heavy-footed guys that they just didn't really have that speed threat. And all of a sudden, you know, e- even with uh, with Kempe being on the third line for a little bit there, Jokinen certainly can't fly like he used to, but, you know, Lewis can skate, you know, Nick Shore is a pretty good skater, Kempe when he's down there. Uh, now Tory Mitchell, you know, now the Kings can kind of come at you in waves of speed. And that's, man, that's been missing from the team. And all, you have Iofalo follow up on the first line uh, on most nights. Then you have Pearson on the second line. There seems to be a speed component everywhere now. And yeah, that's really, really been a clear uh, difference from uh, years prior. But going back to the your question. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's. The main thing that sticks out to me is the struggles of Derek Forbert, right? It's every game now, it, he is fighting the puck. And we talked about this a few episodes ago, but it hasn't changed. He's, you know, the simple plays look difficult. Uh, he's struggling to make simple passes. He's panicking a little bit. And certainly in the last little while here, they've pulled him away from Drew Doughty. And I'm sure that has something to do with it. But I could say with great confidence that it's been the whole season for Forbert um the struggles uh so that's where it kind of comes in because if you think about the Kings bringing in a top four defenseman now it really kind of shores everything up uh right now the Kings top four is obviously it'll be Dowdy Muzzin Martinez obviously your top three and then you add now someone there to that group for your top four someone maybe a little more seasoned a little better all, all around having a better season and now you're bottom pairing now you have a lot of options there now you could really mix and match i think curtis mcdermott's been okay he's had games where he's made a lot of errors like that too um same with uh Folden and fandenberg they they've had good games they've had some tough games um but some of them some, i mean most of these guys we're talking about have been forced into a top four role uh, so you bring someone in maybe mm-hmm. at the deadline, put him in the top four, uh, ease up the, on the minutes to those guys, and, and I think now you're really cooking uh, going into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. You know, um, again, I, I I like the moves that they've made on the bottom six a lot. It's really funny within one season's time they've kind of rebuilt that entire bottom six. You know, Dwight King was was gone already at the end of last season, but I think everyone was a bit surprised with them getting rid of Jordan Nolan, um, who'd kind of been a good soldier and gone through everything. Um, but you look at you look at what an upgrade it's created, right? And I mean, if you get rid of Nolan, but you replace him with a guy like Tory Mitchell, who's a more versatile player and does more for your team than you know skates around and hits people, um, I think it's it's that would have been a point of contention for me. Um, but I think they've done a magnificent job, honestly, addressing that going forward in ways that I didn't even think that would have been an issue. But you see how much stronger the team becomes when you have a guy like Jokinen who can occasionally win your face-offs and is a bit more of a veteran uh, skill presence in the, in the bottom six. And then Tori Mitchell, obviously, with his speed and face-off ability. So that, that weakness that I think was there has been pretty well addressed. Um, but I agree with you in that I think they need a better... Um, top four defense than what they have now. I think when they went into the season, uh, it was a bit of a crapshoot between Fentonberg, Follin, uh, Forbert, um, McDermott. Uh, 
you know, I think a lot of us thought that Kevin Gravel would be in that in that bottom six mix too, and like he's he's completely forgotten at this point. I don't even I haven't even heard the possibility of him getting called up at any point. Um, but that's kind of how it was. I feel like it was just throwing stuff at the wall, see what sticks. And now it's clear that your team is a lot better than maybe you anticipated. And this is where the weaknesses are. You know, it's bad reads on defensive plays on the part of one of those bottom six guys that makes the difference between whether you win or lose a game. I mean, you just, again, not to, not to pick on them, but this is just, just the ones that you think of that full in play, you know, again, it's, 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 it should be a simple dump out play. Right, it should be a very, very simple dump out play, or if you don't have the option there, you go across to your partner, something like that, and that that's that's a turnover that leads directly to a goal that leads directly to a loss, right? And he yep. accepted it, and I get that, and you move on. That's that's all it is. But we've seen time and time again where him and Fantenberg go two guys on the same on the same guy, and then there was uh, a play. Um, I want to say it was. Maybe it was against New- it was against New York. It was against New York, and it was the Kevin Hayes goal, where um, Brown was back checking because there was a rush coming, and McDermott he's going to kind of waver towards the boards and pin up the same guy that Brown's back checking on, and so now you have two guys on on one Ranger just entering the zone, and Hayes is wide open for that puck to get dished off to him entering the zone. It's just a bad play, right? Those are plays that you should be able to expect that your rookies are going to make and they're going to make mistakes with, but your team doesn't collapse because of those mistakes. But the problem is when you have McDermott, Full, and Fantenberg, guys who keep making these mistakes from one shift to the next, it doesn't matter how well Dowdy plays, it doesn't matter how well Muzzin or Martinez play, because those guys have to go out there at some point and you're going to you're gonna see more mistakes. And so I think if you can bring in uh, more tried and true uh, top four defenseman from someplace and you plug him in there and then maybe you bump forward down to the to the bottom pairing which more and more it's seeming like maybe that's where he should be then you know maybe you don't have to play mcdermott as much in that role maybe you just kind of cycle between fullen and fantenberg depending on what you need that night i think that's that's going to be a better solution to things because i think we're getting to that point now especially you know 30 40 games into the season where Mistakes are becoming more and more evident. Fatigue is kind of setting in for some of these guys who haven't played a season quite this long or this intense yet. So you start seeing that the points where a veteran NHL presence is going to be a little more useful going forward. No, totally agreed. And uh, Christian Follin is on IR now, so I'm going to volley it back to you. Do you think Paul Ledoux gets the call-up? I'm going to say no, quite honestly. I'm, I'm going to say no, and I'll tell you why. Because... I would have thought, again, looking back at last year, um, I would have thought that Paul Ledoux was a surefire defenseman on this team. Like, I, I thought he was going to make it straight out of camp. And yet, despite all this happening, I've seen more willingness on the part of the Kings to bring in a guy like McDermott or Follin or Fantenberg into into those like bottom six positions, and they have been to bring in Ledoux. And so I, I think that they – I don't even know if they really call anyone up. I guess they kind of have to because otherwise they're stuck with Fantenberg and um, and um, McDermott without an extra defenseman. And I don't know how comfortable they feel just rolling that lineup out game after game. But they'll, they'll call someone up. I think they have – they, they need that seventh defenseman. Yeah. I, I actually would be – I would be less surprised to see them call up Kevin Gravel than I would see Paul Ledoux because I think that they feel that Gravel is the type of guy that you play for, you know, 14, 15 minutes a game or something like that, and you hope that he does a little more shutdown role and doesn't expect much out of him. I don't know if they, they see Paul Ledoux in that role. I think that's what it comes down to. I think if it was Alec Martinez that was hurt, then you would see Paul Ledoux come up. So what you're saying is it's definitely not going to be Jordan Subban. <laughs> Maybe. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably not. You know, it was funny. When the trade was made, I saw a bunch of Kings uh, people on Twitter go nuts saying, we got PK. And Really? Uh, yes. I'm not kidding. A lot of people thought that the Kings acquired PK Subban for Nick Dowd. <laughs> I mean, we think pretty highly of our pipeline, but I don't know if I, <laughs> I think that highly of them. That would have been the greatest trade in Kings history. 
Yeah, you know, I think it's going to be Ledoux. I know you think it's going to be Gravel. I just think there was going to... There's no way he wasn't going to play a little bit this season. That's just the way I look at it. Um, I could be wrong, obviously, but I just feel like even if it's for you know a short amount of time, I don't know what Folan's injury is. I know it's upper body, but God knows what that means. Uh, I think it's going to be Paul Ledoux. I think he's going to get... A few games, I think he might be healthy scratched, uh, some of those games that he's up. Maybe just to give him some practice time with a team, maybe to give him a little look, a little cup, cup of coffee this season. But yeah, I think it's going to be Ledoux. I think, I think we both agree he has the higher ceiling and all that. And uh, he's probably our best defensive prospect. So I guess we'll see. Um, what you're saying makes sense to me too. Uh, the shutdown role, the bottom pairing role, the... He's more physical. Gravel is. Uh, he plays maybe a little tougher game. Uh, but if right, I because I look at it and I think to myself, okay, why is why is McDermott still with this team? Right, like when he initially came up, you thought it was going to be a couple game, handful of things, let him play, kind of see what we got, kind of thing, and then he would be sent back down, and you know, we'd figure it out from there. And and yet here we are, and he's played twenty plus games now, probably. Or he at least he's been around for twenty plus games. Maybe he hasn't played in all twenty of them, and it's just kind of surprising to me. You know, the, to me, it, I I don't I don't see um, Curtis McDermott as more of an NHL player than Paul Ledoux. Yeah, so I think they're they're more inclined to call these guys up based on the role that they feel like they need to fill on the roster than you know necessarily how prepared they are to be NHL players. Yeah, makes what you're saying makes sense. Uh, mine is more of a gut feeling. I just think he's got to play at some point this season uh, after he, he played, I think, 22 games last season. So we'll see. It's a wait-and-see kind of thing. And, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us, Vardy. Is there anything you'd like to add? No, no, I think I'm good. Happy holidays to everyone out there. You know, send us your Christmas greetings and uh, – you know, shout outs to those of you who are not shy with the uh, with the critiques, positive or negative. We we truly appreciate all of them. Um, we enjoy doing this, and we want to get you know better at it for no other reason than we enjoy doing it. So uh, we appreciate all the feedback we get. Absolutely, and as I've already said, don't be shy about throwing it at us. We love it. We love the conversations. We love hearing what you guys think about what we're trying to do, what we're doing. And moving forward in 2018, um, we're going to try to do some more episodes. We're going to try to throw some new things at you, see how you guys like it. Uh, for the time being, though, follow us on Twitter at the Bannerman Pod. Our website is thebannermanpodcast.com. You can hear us on iTunes. You can hear us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, any device, any platform that gives you a podcast will give you the Bannerman and happy holidays from us. It's been a pleasure uh, so far doing this, and we can't wait to do it for many, many more years. 